Okay, so we've been talking about attitudes over the last couple of weeks, and one of the things that uh, we are able to pull away from this so far is that attitudes are it's a huge thing. It's a huge issue. Uh, it really matters. Attitudes really matter. And one of the things that I said last week is that there's no way that I could overstate the importance of attitudes. And I'll just say it again. There's, there's no way I can overemphasize just how important attitudes are not only in this life, but, but also have uh, echoing uh, ramifications and components for eternity as well. Uh, I want you to think about it, that, that, that attitudes have a profound effect upon uh, our life here and now, uh, but it also has an effect upon the people that are around us. The attitudes that we have affect not only ourselves, but also the people that are around us, and as I mentioned, has a, an eternal component as well. And so that's why it's really important that we look at this subject together. I want to share a statement with you. And I, I think that this statement itself uh, has enough wisdom in it. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, you can benefit from the simplicity of the, of the wisdom that's in this statement. But, but of course, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, you will especially take note of just how important attitude is. So here's the statement that I want to share with you. Attitude is the filter through which we perceive the world and through which the world perceives us. Attitude is the filter or it's the grid through which we perceive the world. It's the way that we look at the world through our attitude. And it is the way that the world perceives us through that grid of attitude. Listen, ask any coach if attitude matters on on a team. And they will tell you, they, if they're honest, they will tell you that, that talent and ability alone is not enough to produce a championship team, that, that you need attitude, call it, call it team spirit, but, but that's basically what it is. It, it's attitude. Now, we've got a softball team, and uh, during the week, either Paul or, or Doug sends out an email to the guys on the team to encourage us, to, to create in us an attitude, a, a positive attitude of winning, even though... We're two and two. It's still not so bad, right? So our attitude needs to, to be right because the way, that we, the way that we look at life through the grid of our attitude is so very important because attitude, listen, attitude impacts actions or behavior. Uh, think about it with me, that attitude is more than just, uh, just a way of thinking. It's more than just the mindset. Uh, it affects our actions and affects our behavior. It seems to me that Jesus uh, talked a lot and taught a lot about attitudes, the, the right kind of attitudes, as well as the wrong kind of attitudes. In fact, I, I think that the opposition that Jesus experienced uh, in his ministry uh, from people who were judgmental and critical and, and, and sought his, his destruction really can be traced all to really not only bad attitudes, but attitudes that led to sinful actions. So, so in the Gospels, Jesus dealt with a number of people that would fall into the category. And one of the things that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks is, is, is we, we look at the, the polar opposites, right? We, we, we looked at gratitude and ingratitude. We looked at humility and pride. And this morning, we're going to look at these two polar opposites as well. And, and, and if I could just kind of sum them up, uh, the basic attitude that Jesus dealt with, that religious attitude, expressed itself in a hard-heartedness. It expressed itself in, in 
coldness, callousness, indifference. Uh, you know, Jesus said that you have passed over the more important matters like justice and mercy and the love of God. And, and because of that indifference, let me just kind of sum it up, right? What, what that attitude is, it's a hardness of heart. And this hardness of heart that is seen in the Gospels, right, in, in, in each of the four Gospels, it is not just something that was, you know, in one or two or three individuals, but really was, was the reflection of the entire nation of Israel. It was a reflection, really, of a generation. And so Jesus is, is dealing with that in that opposition of this hardness of heart. And we're going to look at a, at least one example of this this morning. So let me just kind of set this up, and then we'll, we'll look at the positive as well. But in, in the negative, at the end of Mark chapter 2, uh, Jesus makes this statement that the religious leaders, they would have this kind of a jaw-dropping moment, this kind of an eye-popping, like, what did he say kind of moment. When, when, when Jesus said this, and he was very clear about it, and it was something that constantly came up as, a, as an important issue, and Jesus said this, he said that the Sabbath was made for man, not man being made for the Sabbath. In other words, what Jesus was saying was that you guys have got it really all backwards. You've got it all messed up. You serve the Sabbath when God intended that the Sabbath was to be a place of rest for you. It was to serve you. But you've made it an issue of worship. You've made it an issue of, of priority rather than being an issue of blessing. And so you guys have got it. Your attitude is completely wrong. And, and we could see how the hardness of their hearts was exhibited in the way that they were critical of Jesus for doing stuff like healing people on the Sabbath. So let's look at Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. So there's the connection of what Jesus said at the end of chapter 2, that man was, was not made for the Sabbath, but that the Sabbath was made for man. And so Mark says this, another time he, Jesus, went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled or a withered hand was there. Some of them, that is some of the religious leaders, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Now, apparently, this became a big deal for them. No healing on the Sabbath, right? We don't want you to, they considered that a matter of work. But to show you how distorted their point of view about the Sabbath was, if, if you had, say, arthritis, you know, and you had to walk with a walking stick, but you couldn't walk on the Sabbath with a walking stick because if you made a compression in the ground that was deep enough for a seed to fall in it, you could be accused of plowing. And so that would be a, a law that you broke that would be punishable by death. That's how extreme that they had, had become, that religious mindset. So Jesus, knowing their hearts, purposely offended them. N number one, he said, I only do those things that I see my father do. So, so my father works, and so, so will I work on the Sabbath. Th that, that was his philosophy. But, but what I want you to see is that he did this purposely to offend their religious minds so that it would display and reveal what was in their hearts. And what was in their hearts was a lot of junk. And that comes out so clearly in this portion of Scripture that we're looking at. So in verse 3, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. I'm not going to do this in some corner of the synagogue. 
I'm going to do this right out there. You got to love the boldness and the courage of Jesus. Constantly confrontation, but he's right there, not backing down for one single moment. Verse 4 says this, Then Jesus asked them, that is the religious leaders, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now, folks, that answer ought to be obvious, right? I mean, it's obvious. It, it ought to be to do good and it ought to be to save. It ought to be to, to care about human needs. And, and, so, and so guess what? There's dead silence. But they, the Bible says, remained silent. Why? Because if they, if they spoke the truth and they said, no, it's to do good, then, then, then they would have nothing to accuse him of. And so because they sought to accuse him, there was a hardness of their hearts. And so, so they couldn't answer correctly. So verse 5 says this, Then he, Jesus, looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Some of the translations, instead of saying stubborn hearts, say hardness of hearts or hardness of heart. This is one of the things that kept coming up over and over. Sometimes they would be called stiff-necked or stubborn. But that hardness of heart is what we're talking about this morning. This cold disregard for, for human life. And, and so Jesus, of course he was angry. Jesus comes for this purpose to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes to, to minister, not to be ministered to. And so of course his sensibilities are going to be infuriated by their hardness of heart. And so it says in that next verse, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Instantaneously, a miracle takes place. And what he was unable to do, now, now we don't know if, if this guy had a stroke or he had some sort of an accident so that he was unable to use his hand, but we know this, that his hand was, was, was unuseful. But now suddenly, because Jesus said, stretch out your hand, and immediately a miracle takes place. Now, now I, I, I look at what isn't said as well as what is said. And what Mark doesn't say is that everybody went nuts. Everybody rejoiced. Everybody went crazy because that's not exactly what happened. There was no, there was no expression of gratitude. There was no expression of praise at a miracle that was right before their eyes. Instead, verse 6 says this. And, and this shows us the absolute insanity of a religious mind. Then the Pharisees went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Okay, we're going to keep the Sabbath holy, but we've got murder and hatred in our hearts. That hardness of heart was a reflection, listen, not just of a few, but it became the reflection of the entire nation. You see, the entire nation, Israel, the call of Israel was to be a light to the, to the Gentiles, to the nations of the world. But instead of becoming a light to the nations, they became a reproach to the nations. Instead of attracting people to the, to the God of Yahweh, the, the, the name Yahweh became a reproach among the Gentiles because, because of the hardness of their religious hearts. It expelled or it drove people away. And I want you to think about this. R religion really, truly is uh, this legalism that, that, that is combined with religion. It, it's a form of insanity. 
I mean, this is absolutely absurd for them to plot together to destroy the Son of God, to take his life because he brought healing. He gave a man his life back, a, a man unable to work because of the injury in his head. He gave him his life back. And instead of glorifying God and praising God because a miracle had been done, Kelly said last night at the ladies' meeting, and I was in the back and I was listening, she said, she said a miracle in and of itself is not sufficient to produce faith in anyone. And here's just a perfect example. They see a miracle right before their eyes. They knew the man had a withered hand or, or a, a crippled hand. And they see that miracle and that it doesn't move them to faith. It moves them rather to try to assassinate or to conspire to kill the Son of God. I think it was Tim Keller who said that the, that the religion is the, is the default mode of the human heart. Meaning that no matter how you try to fix it, no matter how you try to dress it up, that, that the, the heart of man is so broken that it goes, it, when you try to reboot it, the best that it can do is to go to a religious mindset. And that's not going to cut it. It's not going to be acceptable by God. It's not religion that God was after. You see, what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that every single one of us, we, we need more than having an attitude adjustment. At Collision last week, Doug was speaking about uh, EQing or tweaking the EQs in our life, that that's not sufficient, that, that really what we need is, a, and every single one of us, what we need a heart transplant. We need a new heart. And the good news is that those that put their trust in Jesus Christ, the Father promises to take out that stony heart, that hardness of heart, and to give us a heart of that is pliable, a heart that is tender, that is mealable, that, that, that is moldable. And, and the good news is that the Father, when we trust in Jesus, the Father is committed and he will not rest until he conforms every last one of his children into the image of his Son. Let me just say this. If you're here today for the first time, we want to welcome you. But you know, if, if you're here, if somebody bribed you because they bribed you at lunch to get you here, or if somebody, you know, told you that if you come to church this morning, you're going to meet some, somebody that's really cute, you know. Uh, we've got a lot of cute people around here. You know, I, I just want you to know I'm not available. I've been married for 30-something, no, 40 years. I'm sorry, 40. Just, it just came out wrong. Sorry, hon. I was going to say 43 years. I, I meant that's where the three came from. So, so I'm not available. She's not available. But, but no, no, seriously. You know, if you're here this morning, and, and we, want you to, we want you to know that you're welcome here this morning. We're so glad that you're here. And, and, and we don't want anything from you, but we do want something for you. And, and that which we want for you is that you would discover that there is joy and there is peace in discovering the real Jesus. And we just, we just happen to think that this is a place where you can discover the real Jesus. And so we just want to encourage you, keep on coming, keep on coming back, and, and, and we know that you'll be blessed. Listen, every single one of us need a new heart. We don't need tweaking, and we don't need a, an attitude adjustment. We need the transforming and the renewing of our mind that takes place in this process of being conformed to the image of God's Son. So here's a question that I want to pose to you this morning. Everyone, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, what attitude does your heart reflect? When people look at you, what do they see? 
if, in fact, that attitude is the grid by which we perceive the world and by which the world perceives us, what do people see when they look at us? What is the attitude that we reflect? Uh, Just very briefly, there's a great uh, illustration of this uh, in the book of Acts. Now, Now, there's the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the following book is is the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts is where Jesus takes off and uh, Jesus goes into heaven, but, but he continues his ministry through his disciples. And the Bible says the Lord working with them, he confirms their word with signs and wonders. And one of the wonders or miracles that was recorded early on in the book of Acts is this incredible healing of a man who had been lame all of his life. And they, you know, Peter and John, uh, are the guys who were responsible for, for speaking this name of Jesus. And, and what happened was the religious leaders didn't know what to do with these guys because a notable miracle had been accomplished. So they put them in prison. And then an angel came and let them out of prison and said, go speak these words of life. And, and so they didn't know what to do with these guys. So they threatened them and then they interrogated them. And, and, and here's, the, here's the point. When they interrogated them, they perceived that these were not Highly educated men. That is, they didn't go to the University of, of Jerusalem. They, they, these were ordinary men, but their wisdom could not be overcome. And, and there was something about them, and this is what the, what, the, what the word says, and this is coming from a religious person. They perceived that they had been with Jesus. Now, that's really the goal. It's really the goal for every single one of us that, that when people see us, they see us through the grid of what is the reflection of Christ. And, and they saw something of the attitude of Jesus. They saw something of the nature and the character of Jesus that they recognized because they dealt with him for the last three and a half years. And so now they're dealing. Now instead of getting rid of their problem, their problem has only been multiplied. So what is an attitude that reflects Jesus. What, what does it look like? That, that, that's what we want to look at on the positive aspect this morning because what we're saying this morning is that attitude is the grid. It's the, it's the lens. It's the, it's the means by which we see the world and by which the world sees us. So we need to look at the polar opposite of what hard-heartedness is. So uh, for the remainder of uh, our time together this morning, we're going to look at one portion of Scripture, and that is Luke chapter 10. And, and there's some similarities here in the way in which it starts. And then we're going to get into one of the most uh, just poignant stories that Jesus ever told and, and break that down this morning. So, so Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says this, on one occasion, an expert or a lawyer, he was an expert in the law of Moses, stood up to test Jesus. Now, not a good thing when you want to test Jesus. Because Jesus knows what's in your heart, even before you speak. He wants to test Jesus. The word test and the word tempt are, are very similar. And, and, and what this man was doing, this so-called expert of the Mosaic law, was, was trying to trap Jesus in some, finding some fault with him. He had, he had an agenda. And so he says to Jesus, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He has an agenda. He's not a serious seek, seeker of truth, but, he, but he's trying to find fault with Jesus, okay? So Jesus turns it over on him and says, okay, 
basically. You're an expert, right? You know the law. So, he, so Jesus says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Now, I got, I got to tell you this. Before we get into his answer, the New Testament clearly teaches that the law of God was given for this purpose, to teach us, to instruct us, to convince us that we need a Savior, that we cannot save ourselves. For by the works of the Lord shall no human being ever be saved. Because we could never be good enough. We could never be perfect enough. We could never accomplish the completion of the law so perfectly that it would be acceptable to God. Not when Jesus elevated the law to its right status. When he said, if you look at a woman lustfully, it's the same as if you committed adultery. If you have anger in your heart towards your brother, it's the same as if you committed murder. And who doesn't fall into that category of even a thought being that which would condemn us and, 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 and declare a guilty verdict upon us? So there's no hope for anyone outside of a substitutionary salvation that comes through us through Jesus Christ. We could just never be good enough. We could never be righteous enough. So Jesus says this, okay, in verse 26 again. Let me read it again. So what's in the law? How do you read it? He answered, this is, the, this is the expert now who answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your enemies as yourself. So that's his answer. If you could just do that, which... which he should have said, which is impossible for me to do. It's impossible for me to love God with all my heart, all my strength, all my mind. There's no way that I can do that or that I could love my, my neighbor as myself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this, Jesus said, and you will live because Jesus knew that it was impossible for him to do that. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Not a good thing to try to justify yourself. There's no way that we can ever be justified in God's sight in our own abilities or our own behavior. In fact, the Bible clearly says that we are justified by faith, that we're justified by grace, that we're justified through the blood of Jesus Christ and that alone. So let, let, let's make this very clear. We do not believe in a salvation on the basis of works. For on the basis of works, no human flesh can ever be saved. But rather, it is the achievement, the accomplishment of what Jesus Christ has done in the substitutionary sacrifice for us. Believing in that, accepting that, and living by that truth brings us into a relationship with Christ. Now, one of the things that this man says to justify himself, who is my neighbor? Because the attitude of the Jewish people at that point, and, and, and you know, as we brought this out in other messages, there was conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. They viewed the Samaritans as being subhuman. They, they, they had prejudice in their heart toward the Samaritans who were half Jewish and half Gentile. And as a result of that, they, they, they just disregarded them whatsoever. And so because of that, Jesus now comes up and replies with a story that just blows our mind. So Jesus replies to this response, then to justify, who is, who is my neighbor? 
Jesus said this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The direction is important. Not only was Jericho in an elevation downward, but there's something that I want you to get the connection for in a spiritual way in, in a few minutes this morning. So as the man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, the priest going in that same direction. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And I I don't know about you, but when I read that, I kind of get the feeling that he purposely went over to the, as far on the other side of the road as he could. He passed by on the other side. Verse 32 says, so to a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and he passed on the other side. The Levite and the priest, the two representatives of of God as, as people who were supposed to represent the shepherds of Israel, the spiritual shepherds of Israel, see this man who has been beaten and, and, and who has been left half dead and they pass by on the other side. But, verse 33 says, a Samaritan, this half Jew, half Gentile, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity upon him. That is, he had compassion upon the man. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put him on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense. I mean, what a story, you know? I mean, Jesus was a great storyteller, wasn't he? But then he asked this question, and, and, here's, and here's the point of the story. Which of these three do you think, the Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert, the lawyer, responded and said this, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. So often when Jesus confronted people, he said to them, go and read what the scripture says. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Hear what the word of God is really saying. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I tell you what, this is perhaps one of the most famous of the stories of Jesus and maybe one of the most poignant or touching stories that Jesus ever told. Here is is a man who truly became a neighbor to someone in need. Here is compassion in demonstration. Here is a man who's going the second mile by by, by not only at at his own expense caring for the man, but but saying, if there's anything that, 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 that I owe you when I come back, I will pay you in full. This is the grid that God wants the world to see us. This is the attitude that we are to possess in which we are to not only view the world, but that in which the world is to view us. It's the kindness and the compassion and the sacrificial love that Jesus so perfectly speaks about here in this story. Why? Because we freely received, therefore we're to freely give. 
It's because we've been forgiven that we're to forgive. It's because we've obtained mercy that we should be merciful. Listen, if there's anyone who should be compassionate, it's the people who have received compassion and comfort from God when we didn't deserve it, when we deserved the very opposite. And so that's, that's the obvious of what God is calling us to. And, and, and here's, here's a story that, that has more for us in it than just the obvious. This is more than us listening on a Sunday morning and saying, all right, you know what? I do need some attitude adjustments. I do need some attitude tweaking. No, no, no. We need to have the spirit of our minds renewed by the reflection of what is in the very heart of Christ so that when people see us, they will say, that person has been with Jesus. But, but there's something about this story that is so significant beyond the obvious. And so I want, I want to just take you back and just listen now, okay? Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole story again, but I'm going to go through the highlights because, because this story is more than just a story that Jesus made up. This is his story. And this is our story, if we have eyes to see it. L- listen, listen. A certain man, the whole human race, went down fell, and great was our fall in Adam. From Jerusalem, the place of blessing, the city of peace, to Jericho, the doomed city, the city of a curse. Every one of us were born under a curse. Fell among thieves, Satan, who was a thief and a murderer, Jesus said from the very beginning. And the very first murder that he ever committed was that of Adam, when he introduced death into this world, who stripped us of our clothing, stripped us of our innocence, of our purity and our position, wounding us, a wound which introduced death and separation from God, leaving leaving us half dead, leaving us spiritually dead, but, but physically mortal. A certain priest, the representative of the law, came down that road, went down that same path by the fall. When he saw him pass by on the other side, unwilling and and indifferent, hard-hearted, unable to help. Likewise, the Levite, callous. But a certain Samaritan, Jesus incarnate, when he came to where we had fallen, he had compassion upon us. He took upon himself our flesh and blood. He came to where we had fallen. And in that, he had compassion for us. When he saw us, he was moved to kindness. He bound up our wounds. By his bleeding stripes, the Bible teaches us that we are healed. He pours in the wine and the oil, the kind that restores our very lives and our very souls. I tell you, I can go on in this, but I think you get the message. This is the, this is the story of Jesus. This is what he has come to accomplish. But it's not only his story. When we enter into his by faith, we become a part of the story as well because we're the ones that have been rescued from so great a debt of having been left half dead, 
but now made alive by his restoration. And, and the glorious thing is that Jesus did not pay for our restoration with silver coins, but paid for our restoration with his own life and his own precious blood. This is the attitude of compassion, the attitude of mercy and, and forgiveness that he had then, but he also has it now. And listen, if you're here this morning and you need forgiveness, you need peace with God, you, you need the compassion of God, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's faith in him that not only gives us back what, what Adam lost, it, it, it restores more to us than Adam ever lost. Adam had an innocence, but now we have a righteousness which is God's gift to us through faith, which, which can never be improved upon, which is absolutely perfect to everyone who believes. And you know what? I, I see this as the end, that God sets us in where, where we're to be restored, where we're to come to a place of, of healing. And the great, the great news is that he's still healing broken hearts. He's still binding up our wounds. And every time that we come together, there's that potential now that there's another part of us that's being healed. There's another part of us that's being changed and made more like Jesus. There's a story that's uh, told about uh, this old guy who lived, who lived by the ocean. And every, every morning when, when the tide would recede, he would walk along the shore for, for miles until he just kind of disappeared into the, into the distance, you know? And one of his neighbors observed him walking every day. And as, and as the old guy would walk, once in a while he would bend down, pick, pick up something, and he would throw it into the ocean. So the neighbor, out of curiosity, one day followed him to see what he was doing. And what he noticed was that the old timer was, was bending down and picking up because, because of when the tide receded, it left lots of uh, starfish kind of just stranded there on the, on the sand. And, and they would die of dehydration. So the old man was picking them up and throwing them back into the ocean. So, 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 so the neighbor kind of says to him sarcastically, hey, old timer, what do you think you're doing? You think you're going to make a difference? There are thousands of stars. There are hundreds of miles along this coast. Do you think you could make a difference? And, and in that moment, the, the old timer had a starfish in his hand. And he, and he held it in his hand and he thought for a minute and he stretched it out toward the man and he said, it's going to make a difference to this one. For this one, it's going to matter. And he threw it back into the ocean. You know, we, we, we are inundated with so many needs. We see so many needs all around us. And that neighbor's attitude was, was, was kind of like that cold indifference that if we, can't do, we, if we can't help everybody, then we might as well not help anybody. That's the kind of attitude that Jesus was, 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 was trying to say, no, that, that's not the, the attitude that reflects the heart of God. You see, because, because attitude really does matter and because attitude really does reflect or, or is the grid through which the world sees us, God wants us to reflect his heart so that the world will see Jesus. And I, I just, I just want to ask you this. What do they see when they see you? 
I believe that Jesus wants to live his life in you and through you, that Christ would be revealed in you, that it is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me and the life that we now live. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So this message this morning is to, is to not only tell you how important attitude is, but to say that in and of ourselves, we can't do this. We, we need God to give us his own heart. Give us a heart for the lost. Give us a heart for those that are needy, those that are, that are suffering. And when we do that, we are the reflection of his heart. Let's pray. So, Father, this morning, we thank you today that that we can hear your holy heart being expressed through the story that Jesus told about the Samaritan. And I pray, Lord God, that it would not just be a story, it not just be a parable that, that kind of is poignant and is touching, but rather that it would touch us in the very center and core of our being so that we become inspired by that. That because, because we, 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 we love God because he first loved us, that, that we can show compassion to others because you showed compassion to us, that, that we could show mercy to others because you first had mercy upon us. Let that principle be developed in us as we are being renewed in the spirit of our mind this morning. Make us, conform us to the image of your son as we all enter into a time of worshiping you this morning. Let's all stand together as we sing one more time.